Praise the Lord. Praise God. Amen. Thank you. If you want to turn to Luke's Gospel, chapter 15. Luke's Gospel, chapter 15. I'm going to read the parable of the prodigal son. It's a great, 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 great parable. And on your seats, you will have got a piece of paper. You're only going to need the side with the little man on it. <laughs> going up and down into the, with a little V-shape. That's the only sheet you're going to need for this morning. You have Luke chapter 15 open before you. I'll read that in just a moment. So, we've been doing a series called Ready, Steady, Go. About the basics of Christianity. The basics not only of a Christian life and how you should function, but also our basics collectively as a church. The church should always be ready in prayer. A lot of the mishaps that take place in life, I believe, can often be simply because we're not praying enough, not listening enough, not hearing enough. And God does speak, wants to speak, but we can't quite pick that up. Ready in prayer. My life should be individually, and we should be collectively steady in discipleship that we should have a personal commitment i'm talking about a human being as well as god a personal commitment to another human being speaking in to our life and just i think one week ago we began looking at that we should go don't complain if your christian life is dull if you're not engaged in evangelism don't complain if you don't get any passion in your relationship with god don't complain because surely one of the greatest sources, as well as worship and prayer, the third great source for exuberance in a Christian life is sharing the gospel. It changes you. It, it, it reveals part of you you never knew you had. There's an excitement, a joy, a reason for living. So every Saturday, 12 o'clock, you can go out with the church and, and go and share the gospel. Just give out tracts. But don't miss that, folks. Please, take it seriously. So we began two weeks ago, was it looking at going? And I guess all of us, if we asked here, I'm sure all of us would have a lost relative, a mom, a dad, a brother, a sister, a neighbor, a flatmate, or whatever. Someone you're trying to lead to Christ. One of the greatest needs is evangelism, you know. One of the greatest needs is to be flexible in our approach in evangelism, not to get stuck in the rut of some routine or some spiel that we go through, but actually to assess a person, whoever you're trying to witness to, to look at a person's life. There is no one-size-fits-all when it comes to sharing the gospel. It doesn't work. You can't just have a spiel and expect that to work. It won't work. Follow the life of Jesus and look at the, the ways in which he approached people. He would approach this person this way, this person that way. He would change his approach. Because those people were all in very different places. There was a prophetic edge to the evangelism that Jesus carried out. And that is why it was so successful. But to be honest, I don't see enough of that. I don't think we're anywhere near conscious enough of having a prophetic ear for what God is saying to the person that we're witnessing to. We just rush in to share the gospel. When the thing that could set them free is the fact that you have a word. The fact that you hit right on the spot that they want prayer for or they're struggling with. You get it and you speak it to them and they leave you thinking there must be a God. How did you know? 
Who told you? And Jesus operated in prophetic evangelism, if you like, bringing words to people and confounding their unbelief. And we're going to look a little bit about that today, about how to approach people. But remember what we said last week. We, you can get a thousand books on evangelism, folks. There's no end of them. Textbooks. You could, you know, spend the rest of your life reading them. But from what I can find, there's a big gap. And the big gap is the bride. As we saw last week in, the so in, in Song of Songs, the, the, the church in the last days somehow gets a revelation of itself as a bride with a groom coming to take her out of this world. The church, the, the spirit and the bride say come. Somehow the church gets a grip on this love relationship with God. Enter into a, a, a deeper depth and that becomes so attractive to the world. Remember what we said all the way through the book, book of Revelation? The Spirit and the church. The Spirit and the church. And then when you get to the last days, it's the Spirit and the bride. Fantastic. So something has got to happen us in this regard. In the book of Revelation also, it says that the, spirit has made, uh, sorry, the bride has made herself ready. That there's a preparation that we need to go through. And for me, you see, I think it's a prodigal bride. I think it's not just a prodigal son, and this son represents many things. It represents the Jews. It can represent all sorts of things. You could, there's a multiplicity of ways you could look at that parable. But you could also, for me today, I can tell you, it's the church. It's the church having known God and been with him, if you like, coming all the way through the dark ages, the middle ages, and by the end of time, coming back to their father. Because it says he's coming back for a bride without spot or wrinkle or blemish. There's a refinement that will take place. And that refinement is going to be very appealing to the world. Remember Song of Songs? They will chase after us and say, take us to your God. Bring us to this groom that you talk about that we may enjoy him also. And that's really what I want to not just do an academic study on evangelism, but rather a passionate one to stir us up in worship and in relationship with God, and the rest of the things can look after themselves. So, the prodigal son. So many things Jesus teaches us through this simple story. It's a parable for the lost. It's a parable for the saved. It's a parable for Christians who are trying really hard to live correctly, like the elder brother. It's a parable for Christians who feel, I must be the worst Christian on earth. That's me, prodigal son. It's a parable for disciples and pastors who are having trouble getting people back or, you know, bringing them back into the flock, just like the father. And there's a whole load of things that God deals with in one simple story. It's fantastic. Remember how we've said over the week, so the devil always seeks to get an ace card in your life if he can. Something he can spoil your relationship with God over. Maybe a sin in your past, something you shouldn't have done. Maybe an addiction, a habit, a problem. And any time you try and grow in your relationship with God, bang, down goes the ace. And the devil plays with those things in believers. Plays with them, toys with them. And you know what he says? Ah, in your case, you used to be loved by God. Oh, God used to really love you. Remember? But because you did this 
thing or because you are doing this thing. There's actually a distance between you and God now. And you're not quite like all the rest of the people in here. You're just that little bit different. That's the devil. Amen? He's an absolute liar. And Jesus, knowing the religious nature of humankind, he told the story of the prodigal son to contradict that. A Jew in a pigsty. Just about as far away as it was possible to comprehend from God. And Jesus told a story to tell us how good he is. And Jeanette, years ago, I remember she said something to me. She said, people believe that God is good, but they just don't know how good. They just can't quite grasp how good God is. You know, the evangelist in the story of the prodigal son, who is it? The evangelist is the father with the arms open wide, beckoning his son to come home. I don't care where you've been. I don't care what you've done. Just come home. Amen? And that's what God wants us to see. He's the, he is the father. He's a beckoning father. But the devil torments God's children and the lost, saying, not, you know, not, not in your case. And I love the fact that Jesus gave us this great parable to contradict that. Luke chapter 15 and verse 11. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country. And there he squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, you see that? When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare, and here am I starving to death. There was a famine, you see. He was going to die. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. You see, he thought the father's love had changed towards him. You see, he had fallen for it. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like, like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son and he threw his arms around him and kissed him and kissed him. The son said to his father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. And you know the rest of the story, how the elder brother had severe difficulties with the generosity of God. On your sheet there, I want to work our way through 
that little v-shape will give us a very good indication of the path that a lost person maybe your past maybe my past where we've come from got saved we need to remember that when we're speaking to people they're all in different places and the first thing you see with the prodigal son is right at the top it was desire he saw the world and he wanted the world just like Eve in the Garden of Eden Eve saw the fruit she saw that it was desirable next thing she reaches out and takes that fruit look at me a moment folks if you're born again then you are body soul and spirit your spirit is saved right your soul is being saved continuous present tense in the Greek your body will be saved future tense in the Greek right but you've got a body and because you've got a body the body has desires and those desires need to be very carefully handled and this boy just didn't do that this boy had no respect for the fact that he had a body maybe a little bit hyper spiritual or something I don't know but you've got a body and your body has natural desires desires for food but those desires can be very twisted and there's a lot of that today goodness knows desire for sex but you know food is a need sex is not there are needs a need is something you would die without there are needs and there are desires sex is a desire needs are food air hot chili sauce I like hot chili sauce it's a need it's on my list of needs anyway coffee <laughs> needs are very it's a very short list there's actually very few things that you need but you know what the devil look at me listen carefully do you know what the devil tries to do take from your list of desires and shift it into your list of needs so that you start saying I'll die if I don't get this I'll surely die what's life worth living you make the mistake and fall for it just like he did of treating a desire do you know nobody died yet for not having sex no one died yet because it's not a need but that son saw the world he saw a distant land and he said I'm gonna go his desire switched right unbridled desire it's a dangerous thing and of course in, in Eve in Adam in the prodigal it begins with a thought it always begins in the mind if you can't control your thoughts you will never control your actions it all begins with controlling your thoughts not just controlling your thoughts but controlling your first thoughts right controlling your thoughts at the beginning taking every thought captive that's what the helmet of salvation is all about you taking control of your thinking it's the only way you get transformed as a Christian therefore you will only be transformed when you take responsibility for your thoughts for your mind otherwise we get stuck for years when I was in Singapore for the first time I got off the train there the MRT and I was it was a distance to another station that everybody was sort of walking towards and all of a sudden there was this drop of water that was went plonk on the pavement you know and all of a sudden everybody starts to increase their pace you know and they're all heading towards the station and there's another drop and I'm thinking slow down everybody take it easy what's the problem I'm just off the plane you know <laughs> why is everybody running well, I soon found out whoosh I didn't know what tropical rain was like you know it just came like a flood and that's what thoughts are like when you see that first 
withdraw. That's the point at which you need to control your thinking. And the prodigal didn't do that, folks. He looked out his window. He looked into the distance. He saw that land. He desired that land. There was no self-pleasing. And the next thing you know, he's, he's losing control. And that leads to the second point. His desire led him to make the wrong decision. A very poor, very bad decision. I don't know if you're facing some big decisions in your life. They're all over the place, aren't they? But you know what? When you're facing a decision of any sort, always think several steps ahead. Don't just think of the decision. Always think. In fact, do you know, do you know what you should do? You should ask yourself, if I make this decision, if I do this, will I want it? Will I want what I'm asking for? When I get what I'm saying I want, am I really sure that I'll still want it? That's the question. That's the key question in everything in life. It's a bit like when you buy your first car. Most people buy their first car it tends to be a bit of a disaster. And you know why? Because you don't know what you're looking for. You might buy it for its style. You might buy it for the A, B, and C, but you really don't know what you're looking for in a car. And when you get a car, and it's your first car, very often people sit in it and they think, hmm, I don't really want this. It wasn't, I didn't know what I was doing. And after you've bought five or six cars, it changes because you actually know what you want, you buy what you want, you sit in it and you say, this is exactly what I want. I know what I'm looking for now. And with decisions in life, ask yourself, when I get this thing, if, I, if God gives me what I'm asking for, am I really sure that that's what I want? What will the end result be? And a bit like snooker, you know. In snooker, you always have to think three shots ahead. Don't take that shot. Do not take that shot. If you're going, that's why it's called snooker. You get trapped. Don't take that shot if you haven't got a way forward. You should always be three shots ahead. And life is, is not much different, you know. We should be looking ahead, thinking ahead. He, did, he failed to do that. He allowed his desires to run riot. He, he ended up making the wrong decision. And what I'm saying, folks, if your sister is lost or your brother is lost and you see them wrestling with the same things, then see them prophetically. Look and see. Ah, I see. You're struggling with a decision. You're struggling with the world. You're struggling with your own type of distant land. Anyway, the prodigal took the next step. He departed. He said, Dad, I'm off. I'm leaving. I'm leaving home. And for him, of course, it was a physical departure, but in some ways it's not a physical departure. You know, you don't have to go anywhere. The prodigal joined the dearly departed. But there's many dearly departed right amongst us, folks. In all churches. People who departed long, long, long ago. You know, one pastor, Colin, we used to be with every now and again. He used to say to the church, if you're not here this morning, could you put your hand up? Somebody would always put their hand up, you know. The departed are among us. It's those who have transferred their affections. You see, the son left, absolutely. He physically left, but he actually left a long time before. It was his heart. His affections were toward his father. His affections were towards his family. But something changed. And the first thing to depart was his love 
his affection and he put that out in the world and he toddled along right after it in due course and that's what you get I'm afraid to say so folks but that's what you get in life that's what you get in marriages when a husband departs oh he's still there he's still in the home but his affections have long departed or in a church where someone's faithful still there but their affections have departed and you can't lean on individuals like that because you know eventually they will follow the, their, their own heart. Right? It will steer them. So the prodigal really did you know, a very poor job. When he said he was departing, do you know what he was departing from? Sacrifice. The sacrifice and the commitment that it was going to take scared the life out of him. And here he was as a young man and he's thinking, am I going to be under your control all my life? I'm getting out of here. I'm going to lead my life. He was departing from sacrifice, departing from the will of God, because the will of God is scary sometimes, right? Scary, frightening. Am I going to have to die, God? That's right, die. Hoop, I'm off. And the son did depart, sadly. He let his desires run riot. He made the wrong decision. He departed in his heart first. And then he eventually carried that out. And if you're dealing with a lost person, and you can sense that they have departed your home, if you're dealing with a teenage boy, a teenage girl, or whatever, and you sense in their heart that they're gone, do you know what to do? Sit them down and tell them a story. Sit them down. There's nothing strange amongst us, you know. Nothing that hasn't happened a thousand times before. And you can show them the end result if they're not careful. So he departed. And what happens in departure? I've been here. I've done this bit myself. You lose cover. I've been with this church 17 years, with the exception of one year. And I was, we were working away. We were working for VFC. My, I worked for Singapore for a church there. And I was quite happy. But at one point, I felt to move aside and to try something else, do something else, you know. So we took off and, and we left this church. <laughs> wrong decision departed all right oh i departed that's for sure and it took god to bring me back it was a miracle that brought me back but here and let me tell you something folks i never appreciated cover so much i didn't understand what cover was until i didn't have it and here you are in this church and you never appreciate what it is to have the cover of a pastor, the cover of your worldwide oversight. You don't appreciate it until you haven't got it, I tell you. But when I went out, I didn't find a rosy garden. I found a desolate wilderness. That's what I found. And praise God. God is gracious. I made my way back up the other side and came back. And came back under cover and ain't going nowhere, thank you. Tried that and I'm not going back. Cover is brilliant. It relieves the pressure on you. God takes the structure and helps you live in it. And the prodigal didn't understand that. Maybe didn't appreciate the cover of his father. But that was there. See, deception. As soon as you depart, look at me. You've got your cover. When you take yourself out, you're in trouble. Because you're coming under a different spirit. You're deliberately pushing your way out of the cover of your parents or your pastors or whatever. And you're going to find that you do depart, but you also come under deception. And that's, that's it's, it's a horrible thing. And you know, have you ever wondered why very intelligent people do stupid things? I have sat with many very bright, super bright people 
who are living the most or doing the most stupid thing. And you sit and look at them and say, you're a bank manager, you know. Why, why, are, you, why are you behaving like this? And do you know why? That word there. Deception. Deception. Do you know what sin does? Sin makes a fool out of us all. Makes a fool out of anybody. And you can be as smart and as clever as you like. But when sin gets into the heart, it will absolutely make a fool out of you. Will make you do the most stupidest of things. Amen. And you need to deal with people in that situation. And tell them, look, you're better than this. You're smarter than this. Open your Bible and start to look at your behavior. Analyze it in the light of God. So deception is an awful thing, but it's a natural step-by-step process. You're going to end up in deception. You're going to end up believing the lie, believing you're doing the right thing. So next point was defeat. And in my experience, in my opinion, you may disagree, that's fine. But in my experience, this is the hardest people, these are the hardest people to reach. You would think they would be the easiest. You would think when someone had come all the way down that far, down the list that they would actually be easy to deal with but they're not a person in defeat it's where pride really kicks in and that's what the prodigal did remember what he said i'll go and hire myself out i'll sort this problem out myself and that's a a, a natural human reaction but again wrong choice do you know there is no rehabilitation center in this world say you're an alcoholic there is no rehabilitation center in this world that would take you in on someone else's request. In other words, I can't ring up and say, Illumide, here's addicted to crack cocaine or whatever. He isn't, you know, he's a good guy. Would you take him in? And they say no. And you know why? You have to go yourself. You have to go yourself. And even in this church, we have backsliders, we have people who come and go, like every church, and people, "Why, why don't you go get them? Why don't you go get them back? Where is she? Where is he? And the answer is, you see, you can't. Sometimes. But there's a biblical principle that the loving father employs. And that principle is, son, you got to come to me. you got to make your way back here. I ain't going to you. Because if I go get you, the processes are not finished. The, the, you know, sin has not done its work. Remember what Paul said. When he really wanted someone to be well, he said, I hand you over to Satan. Oh, I'm going to hand you over to Satan until the work of sin is finished in you, and then I can have you back for good. And so there is a, a, a great deal of patience, and indeed a lot of misunderstanding pastorally, around the way we handle backsliders. But there's biblical principles that even the world know. And that's why you can't go to rehab on someone else's say-so. Because they know it must come from you. And the, the prodigal, the deception makes him endure defeat. And even though he is completely defeated, he's in that pigsty. His reaction to defeat is what? I'll get a job. I'll get a job. What he's saying? I will sort this out myself. I don't need no one's help. I've got myself into this mess. And I'll jolly well get myself out of it. Did he? No. Stuck there. Stuck in a rut, in a literal pigsty. And that leads to the next part, and then the despair. And this is where you can actually start to talk to people. When someone starts to have to endure despair, that's a good day for them. 
You know what they say when you're in a hole? Stop digging, right? Well, that hole, folks, is a very different depth for different people. Your hole may be that deep, and then you'll turn back. Someone else's hole may be very, very deep. And it's shocking to see people in such a mess and still not turning to God. It's a, there, there, there's pride and desperation, despair. There's all those things in there. I'm just saying evangelistically, it's very important to assess a person. Very important to see what's making them do what they do. But it was a very good day for the prodigal son when he reached desperation. He was going to die. That was the bottom line. He was going to die. There was a famine in the land and he knew his days were numbered. Absolute desperation. And a backslider can know that they're going to die as well. They could lose their salvation. A backslider goes out there, they leave the church, they're gone, and they start to think, do you know what, if I die, I'll be separated from God forever. And in desperation, praise God, many turn back. Praise God for that. Somehow they do the mental gymnastics and they say, God is good. God is good. I can go home. I can go back. I'm not going to believe the lies of the devil anymore. It was him that got me into this mess. And you start to straighten out your thinking. You know the word repentance means metanoia in the Greek. It means to change your mind. To change your mind. And one sure sign that a person has not changed their mind is when they're still pointing the finger at God. Why did you do this? Why did you do Why am I in this mess? And the sure sign of repentance, real biblical repentance in someone, is that the finger points one way only. I got myself in this mess. Lord, I'm sorry. God, I'm sorry. And a person's mind changes, most of all, towards God. Once they spoke negatively about him, now they understand that it was them that did it and accept responsibility. And that's what you begin to see in the prodigal right here. Now, look at me a moment again. This is real important. If you got saved because of desperation. For me, I was struggling with a drink problem. I'd been drinking extremely heavily for about 10 years. I mean heavily, man. So I knew I had a problem. I was losing my memory. I would lose days. I was in debt. I lost the relationship I was in. I was losing my friends. They'd carry me out of the pub and put me on the street. I would go to my local pub and go, get out. And I remember thinking, God, what's happening to me? What's wrong with me? I just, you know, I, I never considered myself an alcoholic. But I tell you what, guys, I had a serious problem. And I, 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 a, a guy came to work with me when I was in social services. And he was a doctor, a medical doctor. And he came and, and, and worked alongside me. I was desperate, man. I was desperate. I didn't show it, but my world was caving in. And he came in with a light. Listen to me. It took desperation for me to turn. Man, I was, I was digging a deep hole. If you were in a mess when you got saved, would you just put your hand up a moment? Let's just see the number. One. Oh, you're good people. <laughs> if you were in a mess, okay, there's about 15 here. Not many. Very good. Because do you know what? Do you know what you people who put your hand up, you know what you need to be careful of? If it took a disaster, to bring you to God. You better be careful because it better not take a disaster to keep you with God. Because you may be just the sort of person who needs an absolute mess 
before they'll pay any attention. Many people are like that. You know what? In my life, I was just like the prodigal. I had to go right to the bottom of the pit. Idiot! And do you know what my wife did? I went down there and had to go all the way back up. Do you know what she did? She walked straight across the top. She didn't go out and live wild or do any of those things. Jeanette saw the light, saw the darkness. I thought, I'll go for the light. Nice and simple, nice and easy. There's many different types of people. Some people have to do everything the hard way. And if it took desperation to save you, I warn you this morning, be careful that it doesn't take you, you know, another desperate situation before you learn anything or you grow. Don't let that be. And I, I caution myself particularly in that area. For some people, their finances need to be in an absolute disaster zone before they'll tie. They just won't do it. Year in, year out, year in. But they won't do it until God pulls the plug and there's some sort of crisis. Has to be a disaster. For some people, they won't discipline their children. The father who's weak until disaster strikes their child and they have to go and visit them in prison. Oh, when you get out, I'm going to do things differently. It shouldn't take that. Or in marriages, when a husband won't show his love to his wife or vice versa, does it have to take a disaster, folks? No, 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 no. And let's learn, there's a, as I say, there's a multitude of lessons in the story of the prodigal son. And I am very grateful for it. When I read that in the first few years after I got saved, I remember I cried every time I would go back to that parable because I could see myself in that pit and overwhelmed by the grace of God. The day came when the prodigal son said this, it's another decision, but this time it's the right one. He says, do you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to get up. I'm going to humble myself. And I'm going to go back. I made a mistake. I committed a sin. And it's gone far enough. And if I let this continue, I'm going to die. I'll be separated from my father. I need to humble myself. He did that when he came to his senses. And that's, it's a word for us all, folks. He, praise God, he knew enough about his father to know that he could go home. You know, if I have a problem with my eyes, I'll ask Dr. Obi here. She's an eye consultant. She can help me. If someone gets cancer, talk to Jesus, but you can talk to Christina Lay here. She's a, an oncologist. If I want to make some money, I'll go and see Dr. Leanne Hodges and become a guinea pig for a week in her clinic. <laughs> Everybody's got their own skill. Everybody's got their own department. What's God's department? What would you go to God for? Do you know what God's good at? Do you know what his business is? Forgiveness. Forgiveness. And the restoration of messed up people. That's God's business. And when, if I go to Leanne for certain things, yeah, that's exactly what I do. Come right on in. But when a sinner is in a mess, the place to go is to God Almighty, who sent his own son to pay the price for your sin and for mine. I can go to a God like that. And the prodigal, you know, it's a, it's a, you know, it's a, it's, it's a quick way down, folks. It's a slippery slope, but it's also a quick way back up. Once you change your mind, you're off and running. And as you know, 
the father didn't leave him standing. He was just waiting for that moment of turn and out he ran. I know people see this prodigal as the Jews getting saved in the last days. Amen. Praise God. But it's not just that. Just invite the worship team, please. It's not just the Jews getting saved in the last days. It's also the church coming back to God for full restoration, to become the bride that he has called us to be. And I want us to focus on that even right now. Whoever you are, wherever you are, and wherever you are on this list, folks, look at me. Are you struggling with a desire? Watch it. Watch it. Has it gone too far? And you're just about to make the wrong decision? Watch it. You can still come back. Swallow your pride right now. Deal with it quickly. And step back into the presence of God. Don't depart. But if you have departed, once again, come back to God. I want you to think of yourself this morning, just for a moment. What's going on in your life? Where are you at on this journey? And I invite you to make your peace with God. Like many people before you, like the thief on the cross who in one second gets his life restored. Like the apostle Peter who messed up his life but came back to God. Like the woman caught in adultery who everybody's ready to stone. And Jesus says, leave her alone. No matter where you are, you have a place. And I hope you find it. Let's stand. I want you to bow your head and, and just close your eyes and take full advantage of the presence of God in this place. Father, you know, the prodigal was a young adult. The prodigal son was a young, probably a teenage boy. And we as a church, we're beginning to, to, to press in in this area. And I want to particularly press upon the young people here about next Saturday. That you take that day out, you book it out, and you join the pastors over at the church and study these things more and commit yourselves more for the future. Father, I pray your blessing upon everyone here. That if we're in a pit, you would get us out of it. That if we're on the mountaintop, you would give us wisdom about how to witness to those around us. God, lead us. Give us wisdom in evangelism and in discipleship that we will lead others in the way they should go. Thank you for listening to today's program. I trust you have been blessed and edified by what you've heard. I want to ask you to do something, and that is to become a partner with us here at Preparing the Way. By doing so, you can help us to take these essential messages out to many other nations, many other people around the world. You can become a partner by visiting our website, preparingtheway.tv and there you will find many ways that you can join up. Folks, it is a pleasure and an honor to partner with you in bringing in the end times harvest. God bless you, and once again, thank you for listening.